0: You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with hosts Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you.
1: Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast, and thank you for joining our conversation today. Today is part two for loved ones and helping you understand grief and trauma for those who are experiencing betrayal. We are also really grateful for the feedback that we got from our last episode, which was recorded specifically for family members who have someone in their life that is experiencing betrayal trauma and intense trauma in general. But a lot of the feedback that we got was so positive And we are really glad that helped. I know that was a little bit vulnerable for me to do. Don't know about you, Alana, but I really like doing these vulnerable ones that are a little bit harder, especially when we're trying to fit so much information into a, a short amount of time as we can, because we know people don't want to sit there for hours and hours. So there is a lot of content that sometimes we don't get in there, but we also had an email that came as well From a loved one that had some concerns. And we are so glad that we got that letter because we want to do this episode today to respond to some of these concerns that we could almost guarantee that this very caring family member had. We're almost certain that other family members would have the same concerns. And so we thought, you know what, let's do an episode on this and address some of these concerns. Because we do feel
0: like there could use some additional information around these particular topics. When we get messages like this, it is exciting for me because A, I love to know where our listeners are at and what comes up for them. Some of the concerns brought up are really real legitimate concerns and can be looked at from multiple angles and there's nuances to them. So that's what Amy and I today, we want to dive into some of these nuances and look at the different angles of it. And it really highlights of there's so much that can be misunderstood around betrayal trauma and trauma in general and how people respond to it. And even as Amy and I are talking, I know some of the things we bring up for some people are really foreign. We get a lot of positive feedback of, oh my gosh, thank you for speaking my truth. Thank you for putting words to something that I don't know how to say. I will have husbands listen or others listen who go, okay, um, you're going to have to help explain this to me a little bit more. So that's what today is. Let's explain it a little more. Let's go a little deeper. So is this part two of last week's episode? Maybe we'll just call it an expansion. And thank you to that listener. Who wrote in? But I also want to validate that this person who wrote in has a loved one who is trying to work their recovery and is trying to heal. And I I did feel so much empathy for this woman who is trying to do the best she can in her healing. And I could see how this loved one doesn't fully understand her unique situation. And is trying to understand, but how frustrating that can be when you so bad want your loved ones, friends, family, to get what you're going through and they don't. And so I want to just begin with saying that there are times that no matter how well it's put, whether i like to think it was well put by Amy, even how well you put it doesn't mean that they will understand it or get it. I remember I had a man I was working with and he was trying really hard to help his parents have empathy for his wife. And he came up with this beautiful analogy and I can't honestly remember the full extent of the analogy, but in this analogy, it was about going to the bank and asking for a loan and somebody stealing money from you and then going back over and stealing money until where you get to the point where you're like I'm not loaning them money and he was doing this of trying to help his parents see how she wasn't going to just loan him money she needed time for him really to earn that trust back and as he told me this analogy i remember thinking like wow that is put so perfectly and i said how did your parents respond and he's like they didn't even hear it They just completely rejected it and basically were really stuck on how they saw her and how they saw the situation. And so I want to just put that disclaimer out there with just love and awareness that no matter how much you want somebody to get it, sometimes because of their own experiences or the lens through which they see your experience, they just might not get it. And in that piece is a piece to mourn. And I feel for you. I feel for all of us who have been through that experience. It's really difficult.
1: It is really difficult. And it goes that both sides, right? Like even if the family of the betrayed is looking at the partner in a different way and and can't maybe accept that partner, say they're working things out in the relationship, but the family of the betrayed can't look at the partner and accept that partner maybe even more. So when extended family in general is involved, it does get tricky because to your point, everyone's coming from a different place, different experiences, different background, different thoughts. And that's okay because the truth is it has nothing to do with your ability to heal and move forward. We would love for people to understand. We would love for people to get it. But it does not affect your ability to move forward and heal whether it's individually or in your marriage and because again it really is about you and about your marriage you and your partner the only ones really that need to be on the same page if you're working this out you really don't need extended family to be on the same page in order for your relationship to work and heal, it would be great. But if you aren't receiving that,
0: I just want you to know, keep going. You got this. The first concern that was brought up is it said, I feel like the solutions you're suggesting could lead to a woman becoming a bit too entitled self-righteous and even hypocritical. And you know what? I totally validate that concern that comes up of what if we empower a woman and we talk about her standing in her truth and she does become entitled self-righteous and even hypocritical, then what? And And that's a legitimate question. Then what? Is her marriage over? Is she going to stay in that place forever? There is a YouTube video I watched From a therapist, his name is Jake Porter and the YouTube video is called stay on the coaster. In essence, he said, when we have couples who have been through betrayal or infidelity, then we have this power differential to where him holding all of those secrets or the betrayer holding all of these secrets and not sharing information and doing things outside of the value system of the relationship puts him in a power position. It puts her in a place where she does not have transparency. She does not have information. She can't make those choices for themselves. And so in this process of healing, we do make this switch between where we want her to become empowered. We want her to have a voice. We want her to be able to stand in her truth. And we want her to be able to really stand in that. And so there does become like this pendulum swing that happens to where she goes from being very disempowered and not having this information to swinging over to what will look like to be overpowerful. And you'll go, Oh my gosh, this power that now we're not balanced in the relationship. What's happening. This is not good, but this is part of that healing process for a season. This is not Forever. But for a season, we do swing over with that pendulum where she really needs to stand in that while she is regaining her safety, her truth, her own self-awareness, reestablishing that intuition. This season is a crucial part of the healing. We don't want to get stuck there. If we get stuck there, then we get into that entitled self-righteous and even hypocritical. But there is a season that this is actually part of the healing process. I think this also is why you hear Amy and I week after week talk about individual work is when you have somebody else who can help you see and help you not get stuck there. Because there are some women out there and men out there who do get stuck in that place. The majority do not the majority like that pendulum swing back and forth until they find that nice middle ground. But it can be scary as a loved one watching this shift and being really concerned with what it means and what it looks like.
1: And yes, we love to plug 101 for this very reason.
0: Well, yes, and that's the key right there,
1: right? Is to not get stuck, but use these experiences to help you move forward. So I find even the words that are used here entitled self-righteous and let's just break those words down here entitled that's when you believe you're deserving a special treatment essentially so interesting when you have been mistreated when you have put your needs very basic physiological needs even on the back burner to appease someone who's been lying to you that you don't know has been lying to you when you've been thinking you don't deserve love, when you think you don't deserve some of these very basic needs and rights, then it makes sense why, like you're saying, need to swing and start owning your very basic needs and that it's okay for those to be met. Here's what, I know you see this too, Lana. Here's what we see is that when we're working with a woman who has been self-sacrificing, in so many different ways, and we try to help her see that she has a right to get and and it's her responsibility to get her own physiological needs met. She needs to meet her emotional needs. That's emotional intelligence. When we teach her these things, most of them resist that and have the hardest time accepting Mm -hmm. that's okay. Self care alone is one of those tools, those things that we're teaching over and over for months before a woman starts to believe that it's actually not a sin or a crime or heaven forbid, too much to ask to take a nap. Really, like literally just today, had a client cannot take a nap because it's too much to ask. So, From our perspective and what we see as professionals day after day, seeing a woman have a little bit of that, and let's just call it entitlement, fine, where she believes that she's deserving of special treatment, love it. And let's take self-righteousness. Self-righteous is when you feel morally superior to someone. So let's take the situation where your partner has betrayed you sexually that is against maybe your moral values and maybe even theirs. So for a while, wouldn't it make sense that you want to hold on to this morality that you thought the other partner had and you did, but they've been lying to you about it? Yeah, I absolutely felt like I kept this. I thought you had these same morals and values. So for a time, you are differently yoked in your morality and your value system until they start to do the work. And you do the work with the key word being do the work because you can't get stuck here in that moral high ground, right?
0: Thank you for breaking that down even more. And that self-righteousness, that morally superior, I do see women get stuck here. I see women who go, look at me. I didn't make those mistakes. Therefore I am better than you. Absolutely. that is part of that healing process is the pain Really becomes part of that of I'm better than you because of A, B, C, or D. And that does need to be a piece that's worked through. And so I would say right now, to you here part of this conversation of ask yourself, how much am I doing that? And really, depending on where you're at in the journey, in the beginning, maybe you're not even in a place you can begin to look at that totally normal. And as you go, you will start to recognize more and more of, oh, okay. Might be time for me to start tackling this or, okay, I'm way overdue to tackle this, yeah. but recognizing where you're at on that journey and just realizing that's, I don't want to get stuck over there. But like you said, Amy, is this is again, part of that healing process. And when we deny these pieces, then we often deny parts of our healing and we don't heal or progress. We get stuck. So really, as we encourage you to do this, we're encouraging you to move through all of these experiences. And I'll say that again. I want you to move through Through. all of these experiences so we don't get stuck. So we don't get caught in that place where we are entitled, self-righteous, bitter, angry, depressed, fill in the blank. So the next piece that gets brought up is the question of what would you consider abuse? Could the victim also become abusive? This question brings up a lot of feeling. Amy and I both have a lot of feeling. Me, because I see it in my clients who are called abusive as they're working through their trauma. And Amy really specializes with abuse in her clients. And the, the, the level of correlation that is with sexual addiction and domestic violence, which includes emotional abuse and physical abuse, very high. That's why we tackle the abuse. Not just because these abuse people are seeking us out and finding us Mm -hmm. it's because it is very highly correlated. And I just want to like, say this one hits close to home. It
1: does. And this topic is one that we want to really be sensitive to on all sides of it. Abuse is a very hot trigger word, and we don't want to use this flippantly. We want to be careful when we use this word and even call someone abusive. This is not the episode for us to dive into every single aspect of this. So I just want to put it out there right now. Whatever we say to this in this episode is not everything. There are so many nuances to this. And like I mentioned before, there are still new studies coming out that will help us understand the correlation between sexual addiction and abuse. But I'm going to speak right now just as the male, is the addict, of the woman betrayed. When a woman is experiencing abuse in her relationship, most of the time, I'm not going to blanket this. This is not 100%, okay? This is just what I see most often. Most of the time, they have not been totally aware that they are or have been abused. Now, this excludes physical abuse. Most of this is covert. And when a woman even gets married at a very early age when her brain hasn't even fully been developed it's this becomes this behavior becomes their new normal relational behavior um in her in her mind and and after the sexual addiction is discovered or disclosed and she begins to get more educated on this topic her awareness increases and the awareness to all the behavior including that abusive behavior and it's now more realized, one of the ways that an addict tries to keep his secret is to gaslight. This tactic that can be used to keep the pressure off of him, especially if she's getting too close to finding him out. So an addict often gets really good at knowing how and when to push her to the max, like to that 10, because now the attention is on her. Now she is the one reacting And this is where I personally and many women that I've talked to have done things and said things that have even shocked themselves because it's so outside their norm or or their value system. Remember, with this kind of betrayal and trauma, and then we add abuse to the mix, we have PTSD. And one of those symptoms are violent outbursts against the abuser. And, And so this is what we call reactive abuse. Abusers will rely on their reaction, uh, that reactive abuse, because it gives them proof that the victim is unstable, mentally ill, or, or delusional. And then abusers will hold these reactions against their partner, against that abused person, sometimes indefinitely, and even bring up these specific instances Of self defense years after even the event occurred. So, I mean, I've personally experienced this with my own trauma response. It was fight. And in one particular instance, it turned into a physical, you know, punching his arm. And that instant absolutely was used against me. But there's a difference here, and the difference is patterns. When I'm comfortable using the label abuse, it's when there have been patterns over time exhibited and now there's a cycle and you can Google cycle of abuse and you can see what I'm talking about here. When I see that there's been a cycle of abuse and it's been repeating, that I am very comfortable calling it abuse. So for women who can start showing PTSD symptoms and their fight, you know, their trauma responses fight and they fight back in any way mind you it doesn't it doesn't have to be physical but we need to remember that with so many different personalities each is going to exhibit anger in a different way too right like some to some people anger is the silent treatment right and and so while others are lashing out so you know just really quick i just want to encourage those who may be seeing themselves in this way and one way that you can prevent this reactive abuse is when you start noticing your partner or anyone, but noticing that your partner's trying to make you react, then this is a red flag. And if it's safe, you can remove yourself physically and emotionally from that person. Practice just getting in the habit of removing yourself when you notice that they're starting to push you to that tent. So hopefully this breaks it down a little bit. And again, there's just so much to this given so
0: many different situations and circumstances, we're not going to be able to like cover all of it. The thing that gets so hard about it too, is I know that there will be women who hear that and go, my husband had just an incident because this and this made him upset. And that's why he pushed me or this and this happened. And that's why he did this to me.
1: I know that's why this topic is so
0: difficult. It is so difficult because I feel like everything that we say about abuse can be used in any direction to justify any thought or behavior, but okay. I want to just reiterate these patterns of control, these patterns of manipulation, these patterns of gaslighting. It's really looking at these patterns, but can women have abusive behaviors? Yes. They, they every can. human
1: being, every human being is capable of
0: this. Yeah. So any type of name calling. I'm not going to start swearing <laughs> on here because I, what I want to do is give you examples, but any type of character assaults like that, any type of name calling, screaming, yelling, throwing things at people, all of that is abusive behavior. And we call out abusive behavior for men and women betrayed or not betrayed alike as unacceptable. That is part of a woman's healing or the betrayeds healing part of their healing is learning how to manage the trauma and how to manage their emotions and work through it all. That is part of their work. That's an important part of their work. Uh, there's pieces that trauma brings out sides of you that a lot of women go. I didn't even know that was there. Like I will give a personal example. I don't know if I've ever even shared this on here before, but I, consider myself a pretty put together person. When I was going through trauma, I was having panic attacks. There was a period where I grabbed the stool of the ottoman and I like chucked it at my husband because I was so upset with him. That is so out of character for me. I would not do that today, but in the middle of my trauma, the level of chaos, emotional breakdown that was happening, the loss of control that was very real. There was another time that, that I was hitting him. I was like, took my fist and I was just pounding on his chest, crying, so upset. And it was in response to him sharing more information details that I hadn't known. And the minute that I stopped, I went straight into a panic attack and hid in a corner, like a scared mouse or a kitten and just could not breathe, could not stop crying. And because hitting him was so out of my value system and it was so upsetting to me. And I felt crazy. I'm like, who am? I? And so part of my healing was learning how to manage my triggers, working through that feelings, look, working on how to ground myself. Now, was that action abusive? A hundred percent. His therapist said to him, said to Luke, my husband said, Luke, if she does that again, you need to call the cops. And that scared the crap out of me. And I never touched him again. That was actually very healthy for him to have that boundary. That was good. That behavior was abusive. Did we have abusive patterns in our marriage through me abusing him? No, not at all. That was the trauma. Did it still need addressed? Absolutely. But was that a pattern of abuse? No, it was not. So that's the difference.
1: And so to answer the question, can a victim become abusive? Absolutely. And there are so many statistics that show that a lot of people who grow up as a child in an abusive homes statistically become abusers themselves or have been in a relationship for a significant period of time can become abusers when they don't get help. I cannot tell you how many women come to me and say, Seriously, like they've realized that they've got some abuse happening, right? Their awareness is is coming. They've settled into the acceptance part of it, not approval, acceptance part of it. And they'll come, they'll say, okay, I just got really angry and I threw a plate across the room. Am Am I abusive? Am I an abuser? And here's the difference. These women are aware of it. They're recognizing their behavior. They're questioning their behavior. They're worried about their behavior and they're coming to me about their behavior. Abusers don't do that.
0: Abusers deny, minimize. That's one big difference right there. Here's the beautiful thing about all of this. Trauma can be passed down generation to generation. Abuse gets passed down generationally, but so does healing. Yes. This is why we talk about doing your work (laughs) is because the healing you do, then it stops. It doesn't get passed down. And that you get to pass that healing on to each one of those who come after you. And there is beautiful power in that.
1: Okay. The next piece of concern was the question of to what level of perfection does the man have to achieve to re-enter her life? And, and so another great question. My first response thought to this, there is no such thing as perfection. And I know that, and I'm sure I can speak for you, Alana, that as professionals, we don't encourage or use that word perfection because there is no such thing. And to be quite honest, I don't believe there's even really an arrival. I think that we're constantly progressing and becoming and learning and growing. And I believe that's an eternal principle. I don't think that word even applies to at least the work that I know Alana and I do. So At this particular juncture, I think we're going to try and attempt to answer this question to what we maybe believe is really being asked here, eliminating that word perfection.
0: Yeah. So the question I would put in that then is what does he need to do to re-enter her life? What needs to happen? And so with that, I'm going to say this really simply is there's two parts to that. The betrayed needs to do their work to know how to create their own safety for themselves and to be able to self-trust themselves. That's part of their work. And then the person who has betrayed, their work is to have consistent safe behaviors over time. Again, consistency over time that as they continue to show those safe behaviors and as that other person is doing their work, that we can create a level and an environment of safety. But there's so many elements that go into this around the type of betrayal, how many years of betrayal was going on? Was this a repeated betrayal? Was there a betrayal and then a level of safety and then a massive betrayal again? Was there abuse or massive attachment injuries in the betrayed past? There's so many elements to it, but I will tell you across the board, Healing takes longer than everyone wants it to. But the person who wants it the most is a person who is in the pain. So please do not rush them because they want to be out of the pain just as much as you watching want them to be out of it.
1: Absolutely. And what I have noticed, I was working with this past couple and in fact, I would love to know where they are right now <laughs> because they it was just such a beautiful experience to watch. But what you're saying right there I witnessed happen. She was doing her healing and connecting with herself and learning to trust herself again and trust her body so that she could recognize healthy and recognize when things were off and learn to have a voice and say uh, sometimes for the first time, "Hey, what just happened right there?" here's what I'm making that mean and have these difficult conversations that never happened. It was so beautiful to watch. And I remember one time uh, she was really concerned about saying something to him and we were walking through that a little bit. And she said, I said it, I did. And he didn't respond the way that I thought he would, or that he used to. And it was so exciting to see her see progress in him because he was doing his work. And so witnessing that as a professional is so exciting. And I know that it's possible. That's why I say all the time, hope and healing are absolutely possible because we've seen it happen when we're talking about what do they have to do? Lots of things. (laughs) And hopefully they're working with someone one-on-one to know what those things are in their particular situation.
0: Yes, their particular situation.
1: Mm-hmm. It is
0: it's unique. And while there are some basic levels of gaining sobriety and there are many levels to working a healthy recovery, there are unique pieces that not everyone's situation looks the exact same. There is no recipe that we can put in all the right ingredients to receive this perfect cake at the end. Mm -mm,
1: There really isn't, I would love it. I would love it as a professional to be like, let me have my checklist so I can go down my checklist, but there just isn't one.
0: This one brings up some feeling in me. (laughs) So I'm just gonna read it as it was written and then we'll dissect it. So the question is, why can she be allowed anger and control without restraint? This doesn't seem right. If somebody has anger and control without restraint and you're witnessing it, it probably wouldn't feel right. That would be very hard to watch. I want to just validate that is hard. In my experience of the women who are actually doing the work and trying to figure this out, it is not without restraint. But sometimes trauma responses are bigger than their capacity level to manage them. Sometimes they get out of that window of tolerance and it becomes too much. And this is why doing our work is really important because we want to be able to make space for anger, to make space for those feelings. Because guess what? Anger is part of the grief cycle. That is part of a healthy way of healing, Anger is given to us for a reason. It's to say something happened that isn't right. And anger also shows up as that bodyguard that says something really tender, really vulnerable underneath is being, what's the word I'm looking for? Threatened. That something really tender, really vulnerable underneath is being threatened. And that bodyguard says, well, I got to show up and protect." And that being able to protect yourself is an important part of being human. If we didn't have any protections, if we didn't have any anger to show up to say when something's not right, that wouldn't actually be good for us. Humans wouldn't still be on this planet today. We have that for a reason. Does that mean we get to run around unchecked? Do I get to drive my car without control and restraint and just drive like a maniac because all the other drivers make me mad? No. We still have to have those boundaries that is part of the work, but it goes back to the pendulum you were talking about. And
1: again, the majority of the women we work with, when we get to the anger portion of this grief, they don't want to go there. (laughs) They don't want to go there because it is overwhelming because of in many cultures and especially religious cultures, anger is rejected. And so they feel so much self-judgment and shame, and they're just like, wait, I can't. And then when we're like letting, teaching them how to feel it rather than react, avoid, resist, like that pendulum, they start to swing on this other side. And again, we have to, because it has been so way on the other side, of the swung way on the other side of the pendulum of allowing such unhealthy behavior. So like you said, it's why it's healthy is because now we're gonna protect ourselves from such unhealthy behavior. And here's the thing too, right? Underneath anger is pain. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend, I know a lot of people who've been listening know this resource, but if you are a loved one, go to feelingswheel.com and look up that beautiful wheel of all those feelings. And I want you to go to the section of anger And I guarantee she's feeling or has felt and will feel every single one of those underlining real emotions of betrayal and hurt and rejection. That is what they are feeling. And so hopefully, if you can look at those very beautiful, powerful emotions, and when you see the anger, maybe it will help to eliminate that word out of your vocabulary, and I She's feeling maybe rejection or betrayal. She's feeling rejection or betrayal and hope maybe that lessens
0: the concern. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And what it makes me think about is one of the biggest fears I see from women is they say, what if I let the anger out and it's too much because mm-hmm. they feel it in there. And I, it, I almost picture it like a dam, of this river that has nowhere to go because they've put this big stop of, we're not going there, we're not doing anger. And so the dam is building up and building up and building up. And if we're not careful, it's gonna shoot out, it's gonna go over the edges. There's going to be all sorts of ways it comes out in an uncontrolled way. But if we can learn how to build those flood releases that we can let it out, we can release the anger in healthy ways, that it doesn't have to be destroying. It doesn't have to be out of control. And so that is part of this process of learning how to make space for the anger. Like you said, Amy, with not a reactive way, but in a way that you really are tapping into what's happening in your body, giving it a voice and giving it that healthy release.
1: It's absolutely possible. Healthy release. The last one we're going to talk about today is a concern that quite possibly many extended family members have as they watch a family really struggling and hurting and going through so much. And it would make sense. And I want to validate the fear, worry, and concern that a family will be lost. And that was the concern is, please help because a family is about to be lost. And I can feel the pain in that. And I can only imagine what that feels like on your end because I don't know what that feels like on the end of an extended family member. I know I watched my own parents and what they experienced as they watched me and my husband at the time go through it and I could see the pain and I know what they told me. So I wanna validate that. Having, and Alana, I'll let you speak to your situation, but with my situation, it did end in divorce And the statement of family will be lost, I personally have a different opinion and thought to that from the lenses that I wear, because I've experienced that on my end. I was the family and my family was split up. That unit was, so to speak, lost. However, I personally do not feel that it was lost and I chose not to look at it that way and think about it that way, mainly because of my own personal religious beliefs and what I believe happens after this life. So I don't look at my situation as lost. Now, I know that's not everybody, but I want to offer maybe another way to look at this because it can be painful when you think of it in the sense of a family's about to be lost or I've lost my family course there's going to be pain. So what I chose to do was look at it differently and think about it differently. And that helped not only me heal further as the marriage did end, but I know it absolutely helped my children because I didn't look at them as broken and lost and feel sorry for them. Mm
0: -hmm. And I see
1: that happen a lot with women Are either considering divorce or worried about it, and that the children are one of the biggest concerns, rightly. And I know that the way that we think creates our emotion, which leads to how we behave and gives us those results in our life that show up. And so, if I look and think of my children as broken and weak, and now they're going to have misfortune the rest of their life, and they're going to be less than or not as advanced in whatever thoughts that sometimes people have about children of divorce and broken families. If I thought that, then it absolutely would lead to me having emotions towards them and I would behave in certain ways to them. But I didn't because I don't look at them that way. And every single one of my children are healthier. They know how to have healthy and create healthy in their life. They are still learning that beautifully. And I just don't look at our family as lost.
0: I appreciate you sharing that perspective. And I think that when we see something happening in another family and we don't have power or control in that, we can feel helpless and that can be really difficult. But having that hope and that faith that those going through it will make that decision on what's right for them and for their family can be really hard of allowing them that room to do it, but it's so important. Each person gets to make those type of decisions for themselves. And when I was going through this, I had half the people going, why in the world are you not already gone? Half of the people going, please don't leave, please stay. Everybody had an opinion of what my life should have looked like and what was right for my family. And the reality is I did not know for a really long time, whether or not I needed to stay or go that did not come actually for a few years. And I did stay in my marriage because I did my own work and because my husband did his own work and there was enough safety to stay there, but that was years before I got to that place. That went, okay, I can stay here. So please give your loved ones and other people in your life time and space to be able to figure that out and make those decisions that's right for them. And the more we pressure people one way or the other, the more we actually slow them down and stall that process. The best thing we can do is love them and support them while they figure out what's right for them. And here's one more thing that might be a little controversial. I don't know. But if somebody is betrayed and they do choose to leave the relationship, it's really common to throw them under the bus to say the marriage is now broken up. The family is lost because this person did not choose to work it out or did not choose to stay. And I am sorry, but that takes away all responsibility for the real issue that happened no, the reason this happened is because the trust in the foundation in the relationship was shattered. That is why the family is struggling. That is why the family is having to heal and try to move forward or not. That's what it comes down to. And so please have patience again with that loved one who is trying to work through this and manage this and do not ask them to carry any level of responsibility on their shoulders for, I'm using quotations for saving the family. Thank you for saying that. I personally appreciate it. So I think about this episode and what we've talked about today, and I'm sitting here going, I don't know how all of this is going to hit Because I feel like we dug into some deeper topics that loved ones, if you're listening to might be hard and even the betrayed of you might recognize that there are some areas that you have to work on that might be hard. And we share this information because we want you to heal. We want you to have the tool, the knowledge, the resources, the awareness So that you don't get stuck, that you don't have to be in pain 10 years from now. So I hope you can take from this episode, what you need to hear and then what you're not in a place for now, or is not where you're at that you can let that go. And I hope that as loved ones, as you're listening, you can listen to this with a greater awareness of. The reality that no matter how much you think you understand your loved one, there are pieces to this that you just won't get and to try to have any level of empathy that you're able to have. And again, the fact that you're listening to this, we said this last time, the fact that you're listening to this shows your desire and your love for that person. And just thank you for that. I want to give you a big hug and say, thank you for trying because there's a lot of loved ones out there who don't try. So as always, thank you for being here and being part of the conversation. And we look forward to seeing you all next week.
1: Thank you again to those who were vulnerable and brave in sharing this episode with a family member. And thank you to all of you family members who listened with understanding and empathetic ears. We really hope that each of you remember that it is our own individual responsibility and privilege to choose healing, choose recovery, and to choose you. Take care, everybody.